Hi, everyone. Quick plug before we get started. As many of you probably already know who listen to this podcast, we've launched an app. It's called Vivio. It tracks your sleep, nutrition, exercise, and mindset and gives you individualized recommendations on a daily basis on how to get healthier, to improve your well-being, and to perform to your potentials. If you want to check it out, visit vivio.com, V-I-I-V-I-O.com. Thanks so much. Let's dive into this episode. Welcome back. Great to be with you. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the podcast. And today we dig into adventure and accomplishment again. Really excited to speak to Sébastien Sasseville. Sébastien holds a bachelor's degree in communications. He's a TEDx speaker, and he has also spent the first 10 years of his career working for Fortune 500 companies. Seb was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 2002, the most severe form of diabetes. He vowed that the obstacle would never keep him from living life to the fullest, and today his story is a testament to how challenges can be turned into opportunities. Diabetes is an autoimmune disease in which the body's immune system attacks and destroys the insulin-producing cells of the pancreas. It can occur at all ages, but usually does in children and young adults, causing them to be dependent on insulin for the rest of their lives. As opposed to type 2 diabetes, it cannot be prevented through nutrition, exercise, and medication. In 2008, Seb reached the summit of Mount Everest. He then completed six Ironmans and the mythical Sahara race. We'll talk about that in the show. In 2014, he faced the biggest challenge of his life to run across Canada from St. John's, Newfoundland to Vancouver, which is 7,200 kilometers, about 5,500 miles, I think, which is basically 170 marathons in nine months. Super excited to speak to Seb today. I was really happy to get a chance to get him on the show. Lots of insights here about accomplishment and routine and just general excellence. Really, really happy to have had this chat. And I know you're going to enjoy it. So anyway, no further delays. Let's dig into this conversation with Sebastien Sasville. Seb, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Where are you? <laughs> I always have I'm, to start with that in COVID. Yeah. I'm like, where are you? Where, where am I finding you in the world? I, yeah, I'm in my home office right now. I live about 40 minutes north, uh, up uh, north of Quebec City in the mountains. Oh, wow, beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I just spent the year in the mountains, so I'm already jealous. And we've been speaking for about 15 <laughs> seconds, so that's a great way to start. So tell us a little bit about your backstory. How did you get into adventuring? How did you get into you know wanting to go up Everest or run in the Sahara or run across Canada? Like you didn't, you've done some pretty epic stuff, but how did that start? Like, What's the backstory? What's the origin story? That's a good question. I mean, a lot of it happened by accident. Uh, by accident, a lot of it was like as a kid, I loved climbing in trees. I grew up in a very rural area. We played outside a ton. And I, I don't know why, but I always wanted to do like big things. Like if there was a trees to climb, I, we wanted to climb, you know, as high as we could and, and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it was a very outdoorsy kind of lifestyle as a kid. But I was also the kid who totally sucked in sports, who was Hmm. picked last every single time. Because I only found out later in life that I was better suited for endurance and, uh, you know, long distance running and cycling. And, and, you know, you look at mountaineering, it's it's a lot more endurance than sprint, right? Uh, High altitude climbing versus rock climbing, two very different worlds. 
so there's there's a bit of that, and then at 22 diagnosed at type one diabetes with uh, type one diabetes. So that's a big marker in my life. 22 years old. I'm also obviously typical college kid. You know, social butterfly. A lot more time at the pub than at the gym. And then my life changed or collapsed. Uh, it was it was very 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 tough because you're told. You're going to live with this disease for the rest of your life. You have to inject insulin three times a day. The, the, the balance between insulin and carbs and exercise is extremely fragile. Very bad things can happen if your blood sugar goes too, uh, too, too high, too low. And then at the time, storing of insulin, you know, was a bit challenging. So I'm like, this, this, this little potion that keeps me alive it needs to stay in a fridge, but then I want to travel and see the world. Am I going to be able to do this? So that was really tough. And, and then, yeah, one thing led to uh, one another. What I didn't know at the time was that the, the people that I would meet because of type 1 diabetes were, were much better influences. And mm. they're the people who got me into uh, exercise, and I'll, I'll be forever uh, thankful. That's really interesting. So just for everyone, let's talk about the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes, just so everybody understands what that is, because they're very, very different um, yeah. conditions and very, yeah. very different origins. So yeah. we'd love your insight on that. Yeah. So type 1 diabetes represents, and that's what I have, um, that's only 10% of people with diabetes, right? So type 2 diabetes, you know, the, the, the type of diabetes people are more acquainted with it's you know your 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 uh, uncle with a bit of a belly never really exercise you know poor eating habits blah 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 uh, it's a type of diabetes that could be avoided or at least delayed with healthy lifestyles where type 1 diabetes typically happens uh, at a very young age it happened to me when i was 22 uh, it's not that i had it and didn't know it's it's that you almost overnight become a type 1 diabetic uh, it's a autoimmune disease. So for some reasons, your your um, your uh, what's the word I'm looking immune for? Immune system. I your think. immune system, yes, kind of goes crazy and goes in your pancreas and destroys the 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 beta cells, the the insulin producing cells, and and that's it. You're you're diagnosed type one diabetic. Got it. And that's helpful context for everybody. And there's been some pretty amazing athletes that have been type one diabetics. Remember Tom Dolan, competitive swimmer. One of the NFL quarterbacks was a type one diabetic. I can't remember yeah. who that was, but um, anyway, so it's, I mean, it is possible to reach amazing heights in sports as a type one diabetic. So I'm really curious about the journey for you. And you mentioned that positive influences on you happened hmm. after diagnosis. Let's dig into that a little bit because that's yeah. probably, uh, that's, that's unique and interesting. Yeah, but you, absolutely. I mean, you live to, you have to look at it from the point of view that you're just diagnosed. You're a little sad. You don't know if you're, you think there might be some limitations to your life. So it's really tough. And then you find out about these incredible individuals who are uh, running Ironman's, uh, marathons, playing professional sports, uh, and then you go, my God, like it is possible. And if them, why not me? Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then you just start digging, you start writing to those people, you start making research and then you, you, you and it's a choice, right? I, I decided at one point I went, okay, so clearly this is possible. So it was a conscious choice, um, uh, that I would try to live life to the fullest that I would still 
you know, have really big goals and, and, and dream big. And you understand early on that, yes, it's going to be twice the work. You have to accept that, deal with that, find resilience and discipline to do twice as much work as others. But, and it's honestly, it's, it's been a fun journey. And then you're, the journey becomes about so much more than performance. It's about purpose. It's about impact. It's about helping others. And at the end of the day, you find out that this is the most rewarding part and that's the ultimate fuel. And because uh, as a kid, there's more ego. You, you, you want to win medals and be on top of the world. And then you realize that's not really what, what, what matters. So you ended up on top of the world anyway, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. As a kid, I, I was fascinated by, by mountains and climbing and, and, uh, and I wanted to climb Everest, but for, for many years, I had no idea what it entailed. And again, before diabetes, I mean, 20 years old kid, I had this really big dream, but no discipline, no structure, no resilience, none of the things that it required to get to the summit. I mean, I wasn't even training. I was just, just telling girls that I wanted to climb Everest, <laughs> but not nothing more. So that's another reason why I'm so thankful. I was given type one diabetes. It was a lot of adversity. It was, it was tough, but it, it really helped structured my life. Talk to me about the structure that was required to train for that and actually do it and what it was like going up the mountain. What did it feel like at the top? Your training obviously must've been very disciplined, but with all of the adaptations to make sure that your insulin was stable, I'm curious yeah. about that. Uh, and then how did that preparation help you to actually get up the mountain? Were there, you know, yeah. um, challenges there? Like, I, I want to hear that story. Yeah. And, and there's multiple questions there. And this is also, you know, the, it reflects how complex getting ready for something like that can be. Um, you you, you got to train technically, you know, to be um, skilled enough so that you can be on, on the mountain. Uh, you got to be in good shape. You got to train physically. Uh, there's, um, you got to understand the logistics. Uh, you got to, you know, you don't start with Everest. So you got to climb and climb and climb some more. Um, I remember before Everest every year, we would, you know, go abroad, climb on a big peak, um, you know, spend, uh, and they're long expeditions, right? Everest is a, a two months climb. The year prior Everest, we were on Choyu. That's the uh, seventh highest, something like that. And uh, you're there for six weeks. So the implications of, of logistics like that are pretty big. So you got to get familiar with that. And then obviously from a type one diabetes perspective, uh, it was years of experiments, of discussions with the doctors, of those details like bringing insulin vials in high altitude to see if they would, if they would pop, it was testing blood sugar a lot. Um, trying to understand how my body works, how much insulin I need. Uh, so it was, it was, yeah, a lot of work. But when you put in the work, then it leads to good things. Talk to me about the actual summit attempt itself. You're at Camp 4. You're making the decision to go. All the preparation's been done. Walk me through going up the mountain. Yeah. So when you're at Camp 4, you're at 8,000 meters, you're in what's called the death zone. So even on oxygen, you've got a 72-hour survival window. We leave Camp 4 at 8 o'clock at night. We're hoping to reach the summit the next morning, so it's pitch black. And communication 
with all, all, all the guys. Uh, you take a step, you breathe five to 10 times. Uh, you know, so it's very surreal. I remember the moonrise, which was spectacular. It was red, it was, it was, it was spectacular. And, and, and uh, you just have to go one step at a time. You have, it's funny because you have to let go you have to trust your team, your equipment, yourself. Like you have to be confident enough that you can execute and, and know that you've trained for this, you know what to do. So, so yeah, it's, it's finding the right balance of control and, and letting go and, and just continuously. So I mentioned execution, right? So it's mm. continuously scanning all of your systems and your body and making sure you're feeling good. And, and most fatalities happen on the way down, right? So the yep. summit <laughs> the summit is not the finish line. It's the half mark. Yep. And I remember, and, and I want to be very humble, like I wasn't the best climber in the world. Like I had guides. I had, I had a team. You, you can't talk about Everest without mentioning the Sherpas, right? I had a lot to deal with with di type 1 diabetes, right? So I'm not one of those explorers who got there first. And, uh, yep. you know, I had some help to get up there. And uh, I remember our expedition leader uh, saying, do you have enough energy to go back to, to, to return to, to, to base camp? Or not base camp, but camp four. Mm -hmm. He never asked about the summit. It was always, at this point, do you have enough energy for the return trip? Not just the, the trip right. to the summit, right? So, yeah, there's a lot going on. And you also, I mean, this is your dream. When you're climbing in trees when you're a kid, you think about that. So you're there so you gotta enjoy it a little bit as well when you're standing on the summit what's going through your mind you're there for five minutes <laughs> yeah. 300 seconds so honestly I, I, it'd be cool to have a really good speech about how i felt the truth is I, I don't remember it much um yeah it was powerful i remember getting emotional you know just a few dozen meters before the summit. Uh, I remember we sat there, we took pictures, we, you know, cause you got sponsors so you got to do what you have to do. And I remember when all that was done, like I remember sitting there just for a minute or two with the team, cause we know you're at, you know, and you're suffering so much. It's the mm. highest point. So it's the toughest part. And then you're halfway. So you just, you have to feel it. You have to kind of bottle that moment as much as you can. But then it, it's back to work. And we were well aware of that. When you looked back on that experience afterwards, what are the takeaways? Like, what did you learn from it? What changed or what insights did you get? Or did, did anything sort of pop into your brain afterwards? Like, wow, that, that's a really powerful insight, learning. You know, what, uh, what did you take away from the mountain? So much. I mean, it, I, the, it was 10 years of my life. You're, Nepal is a beautiful country. And also Nepal, so if we take a big step back, get off the mountain and focus on the country, even it brought a lot of calm uh, mm. in my life. Like I was a turbulent uh, kid, we'll, yeah. we'll leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it brought just a lot of peace, a lot of calm to me because I spent a lot of time there, multiple trips. And uh, so I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm thankful that you know, I did set a really massive goal, like literally the biggest obstacle you can find on the planet. So it was a big impossible goal and, and step by step turning it into something that was that was accessible, that was possible. And then it was also about what it meant. Like I really, it was very powerful 
for the type one diabetes diabetic community, right? Like you, it just sends such a, a powerful message. You know, if this is possible, then a lot of things are possible. And, and that made me feel really good. And it, it wasn't, like people ask how I felt when it was over. And, and to me, it was a starting line. It really was, mm -hmm. like I was 28 when I climbed Everest. I was super lucky. And I was, I think all the immaturity, the, the lack of maturity and the fearlessness and all the, the bad things about being young, it kind of helped me get to the top a little bit. And then the mountain helped me mature a lot. And then that's why it was a starting line. Then I was very much focused on helping others and making a difference through the messages that that my projects would, would carry. What was the next project? And I, uh, or not even the next project, but I'd love for you to take me back to the Sahara because I've spent some time in the Sahara Desert and it is one of the most stunningly beautiful, harshest, most difficult yeah. environments on the planet. Sort of like you can go as high as, you know, Everest, but you can get as hot as it gets yeah. in the Sahara. And so that's the next sort of level of extreme and you've spent some yeah. time there as well. So take me to the Sahara. Yeah, I did the the Sahara race, uh, Marathon des Sables. Um, there's a few different races there. They're all very similar. So 250 kilometers, five stages, self-supported. So you carry your food and your gear. It's really, really tough. It's one of the toughest races in the world. So I went there to do that. I prepared for that. Um, I loved that it was something completely different, as you mentioned. That, that was the true appeal, that it would be completely mm. different. But I've learned so much there. It was, uh, oh my God, I don't know where to start. Like you, you get there, you've trained for a year, you've looked at previous times, everybody gets there with like a secret goal and you think you can do pretty well, you know, top 10, whatever. And then it literally, Greg, like it takes, <laughs> it's not even a day, it takes less than an hour for, for the <laughs> desert to kick your ass. And yeah. then within an hour and you got five days to go, you just want to survive. You just want to finish. You couldn't care less about your result. And that's where a beautiful, you know, journey begins. It's like you, 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 it's like the desert It's like, I have things that are so much more important and so much more beautiful than your little freaking time yeah. to teach you. And then <laughs> because it's so tough, the lessons started going. One of my best memories is, I don't know if you've had the same experience was to be able to, to, to listen to silence. Like the very first time in my life, I live in the forest. Like I am by myself. That's what I like, right? And but if I go for a walk in the forest after this interview, there's going to be branches cracking and birds and blah blah blah. It's not silence. It's very calming, but it's not silence. Like in the Sahara, it was true, pure silence. Yeah. And, and so you can. So that that in itself is a very powerful experience, and then it it takes you, you know, within. And, and you can, I don't know, it's a very good environment to go explore yourself because you, there's no distortion. There's no, yeah. So I, I cycled through Africa in, in 2003 and I found that one of the things very rapidly that occurs, it was exactly the same thing. I had expectations. I thought that I was <laughs> going to be able to ride my bike fast and I was going to be competitive and literally four hours in, I was in survival mode, hoping I would just finish the day, not necessarily yeah. the next four months. Um, and what kept on happening over and over and over throughout Egypt, Sudan, Kenya, Ethiopia, you know, Tanzania, Malawi, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, wow. uh, South Africa was that 
if you had any expectations at all about anything, they'd get destroyed. Like I expect to have lunch may or may not happen. I expect to be able to ride my bike may or may not happen because you get a flat. Like if the, so the, what you eventually figured out was that if you can just approach your day with absolutely no expectations whatsoever and just go and ride your bike or just move, make your way through the day, hmm. you're going to be fine. But if you have any expectations, they're going to get shattered and you're just going to get upset. Yeah. That was one of the most interesting things. And you're right, like about the silence. And there's so like just the night in the desert when the yeah. stars, there's, you know, 10,000 stars. The atmosphere is so clear. It is so quiet. So between the destruction of, of your expectations and a lot of silence to think about that, it is pretty transformative <laughs> yeah. and painful sometimes. As well, yeah, and it's humbling because your expectations are built with what you know, right? And what we know is so incredibly small. And then the, it's like a, a barrier to what the world has to offer. But because the world has so much to offer, that's why like you realize that little barrier isn't very solid and it just gets destroyed, you know, by, by whatever happens. So it's like the, that expression, you know, to show up your cup empty, right? Mm -hmm. Because if your cup's full, then I can't put anything in it. So it's a really good way to amplify the experiences that we have to sometimes show up with no expectations. Yeah. And how did you end up deciding to run across North America? So you're 7,200 kilometers across Canada from one side of Canada to the other. Just really curious about, you know, how that came about and what that experience was like. It, it was actually right after the Sahara race that that, that gave me confidence uh, because it's a tough race. And I came home and I was like, yeah, I could have kept going a little bit. And, and uh I felt good about running a marathon a day, you know, on multiple, you know, days. And, and um, so I was, you know, exploring different ideas for next project. I wanted to do something meaningful. And then it really is when I, so I ran across Canada and that's when we, I started to, to look at the logistics, you know, and it was a big project for diabetes. So when you realize you'll be in a different hospital or diabetes center almost every day, different town, different media. There's people across Canada living with type one with diabetes. Of course, it was just, it was the perfect setup to have a lot of impact for nine months because it takes nine months. Right. And then just, you, you got to do stuff you love. So the simple answer is I, I, I really like running and uh, running a marathon a day sounded like a ton of fun. And that's why I wanted to do it. Talk to me about doing what you love, because mm. that is a theme that continuously comes up on this podcast. And cool. there's something unique about knowing what you love and then giving yourself the support, freedom and pathway to do that more. So I'm curious yeah. about how you discovered that and how you've managed to turn that into a career, a life, uh, yes. influence and inspire other people by doing what you love. I mean, that's what everyone's dream is, right? And I want to do yeah. what I love and get paid for it and influence other people and make other people happy. Like, and you've actually done that. So I'm yeah. curious about, about that simple statement because there's so much in that. Yeah, I know. That's such a, a good question. Um, well, if you love it enough, if you want it bad enough, like I'm like I'm doing what I love. Yes, I did. I, 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 I turned it into a career. There were 
10 or 15 years ago times where it comes at a price. You know, you're probably not going to have a ton of money when you start <laughs> only doing what you love and you got to build a, a, a business, you know, a business process, uh, a reason for you to collect money when you, you know, uh, so, so it takes time. But if you love it enough, like I remember, you know, I, I never really thought about money. I was just really happy about, and I did it at a younger time, right? You have no one to support. So of course that makes it a little easier. But then even like if, if you love something so much, you should be able to work on it in the evening after work. And I'm not saying that should be forever, but if you want it bad enough, like you should have the steam to do that. And, and I think another way to look at it is right now, because I have a lot of projects and even though I do what I love, there's parts of my work that I, you know, it, you know what it is. It's busy, you're tired, yeah. there's different projects. Not all your clients are cool. That's just the reality. <laughs> it's just, you know, no job is perfect. But what I'm looking for right now is work that energizes me. Hmm. So there's, whether it's a project, whether it's a sport, you know, because I was very focused on triathlon for a number of years and I've just transitioned to ultra cycling and I became really happy and my, my, my athletic projects are in ultra cycling now. And like, I'm, I have my day job, like I'm, I'm, I'm a speaker. I, I, you know, I do what I do, but now I still work in the evenings on my other side gig, which is, you know, the planning of a big race. So I still have to pick stuff that I love enough that I have to, you know, make sacrifices for. But it energizes me. It makes me happy. Um, so I look for that. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, I'm also curious, if you don't mind, just digging into a little bit about, and I want you to be like, you don't have to hold back on this one or, or you don't know, do the typical Canadian thing and, and minimize your accomplishments. I'm interested in the impact that you've had in the type 1 diabetes community. Because quite, for example, for many, many years, I was involved in high-performance sport in Canada. And I believe in high-performance sport. I believe that training for the Olympics is, is, a, is a good thing and that Olympians are phenomenal people who inspire others to take part in, in sport. And, and in some areas, that's a contentious statement because there's increased investments in high-performance sport and that may or may not translate to increased participation. But I believe that when a young person sees Penny Alexiak, for example, win a gold medal at the Olympic Games, that that young person may choose to become a swimmer as a result of that. I certainly chose to become a swimmer because I saw Victor Davis and I thought that was pretty cool when I was growing up. But I'm curious about how your expeditions, your adventures, your work, your speaking has influenced the type 1 diabetes community and, mm -hmm. and how you help people to take what you do. Not everyone needs to climb Everest, but everyone could benefit from going for a walk. And everyone with type 1 diabetes can may not want to run across the Sahara Desert, but could certainly benefit from your understanding about how to be more physically active or how to manage your mind under difficult situations. So I'm curious all about that impact and the effect that you've had. And I, you know, don't hold back because I think you've done some pretty incredible stuff. I'm starting to see it. I'm starting to, to see and to be able to say that I've had a big impact. It was just not my personality to, you know, this, well, even today it's not easy, but, but it's just, it's been, shown to me and 
and I've been told many times now, um, and over the years, like you reach thousands and people of people, and then hundreds of thousands of people, and you know, three million people in Canada live with a form of of diabetes, and a lot of them have heard about, you know, what I've done. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm proud very proud of of the impact it's had because my my commitment like i've I've done work with the jdrf the juvenile diabetes research fund foundation they're very focused on finding a cure and while that is important while i continue to do work with them my mission and my message was was always hey there's going to be a cure but it may take a while so in the meantime please know that you 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 can and you should you know live a, a full life and there's absolutely nothing you you can't do you you can go to the olympics play in the nhl so and just to know that i've spread that message widely and that very concretely you get emails from a kid or a mom like i would have never done you know what i've done today without without you without your message without seeing you speak or without seeing the article about your expedition in the paper like that that's yeah that's the paycheck yeah good job um curious about your next projects like what are you up to what's what's in the pipeline what are the dreams what's what do you have coming up so this past summer i rode across canada i challenged myself to um to uh to ride across as fast as i could i was hoping to maybe beat the record i did not beat it but i i, I uh came back more inspired than ever. I learned so much. Um, so I ended up riding from Vancouver to Halifax in 15 days and 17 hours. And that that really inspired me. It was painful. It was tough. You're looking at blocks of 20, 25, 30 hours of riding, and then you stop for two hours to sleep, to try to sleep. So um, it was really, really, really tough. And that inspired me to do more difficult things because you learn so much. That was the big takeaway. Like we need to commit to doing things that are really, really tough so that we learn. That's the most important thing. So I, I signed up for RAM, the Race Across mm -hmm. America uh, next uh, summer. It's typically you need to qualify, but they, they accepted my ride <laughs> across Canada as a qualifier. And I'm, I'm very excited. So that's I'm doing the solo, the solo ride. Uh, departure is on June 14th, uh, 2022, promotion side. Very cool. A buddy of mine was um, a crew chief lead for someone that did RAM a couple of years ago. So nice. I'm happy to hook you guys up so we can learn a little bit more about yeah, what that's that. all about. How do people find out about where what you're doing online, connect with you, follow your adventures, and learn more? Uh, website is sevenspires.com. Facebook, Instagram is uh, sevenspires. Really easy to find. Seb, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That was fun. All right, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that. If you're interested in learning more about Seb, check out his website, sebinspires.com. You can also check him out all over social media. He does a great job of updating you on what he's been thinking about and working on. Uh, again, super excited to have had him on the show. If you enjoyed that session, please share it with your community. That helps us tremendously. Give us a review on iTunes. That also helps us massively. If you have any comments or questions or, or, or just thoughts or contributions, obviously sharing that on social at Dr. Greg Wells is super helpful. That's it for this week, everyone. Stay healthy and safe, and we'll talk to you again soon.